0: Hello and welcome, I'm Bonnie and I'm Lily and this is Little Home Organised, a podcast dedicated to helping you declutter, get organised and reclaim time for the things you love.
1: About fifty percent of people with hoarding disorder are, have a major depressive disorder that is diagnosable. Clear, talk to the people from your life, and if any whatever problem you have will automatically get better. Mm. And, and with the woman I've been dealing with, yeah, she's went, gone through a lot of discomfort to let go of things, but in the end, she's much happier.
2: Hello, and welcome. Today we are joined again by Dr. Randy Frost answering your listener questions but before we dive in bonnie
0: christmas fever is in the air we're all getting towards the end of the year we want to get a little bit more organized so that when we have our festivities our life at home is not feeling too chaotic so what we're doing if you head over to our facebook group little home organized community on facebook we're going to do the 12 days of decluttering starting on december 1st 12 minutes every day to help you get your house a little bit more organized
2: Yes. So come on over, come on over, baby.
0: I feel like we sing a lot. <laughs> Sorry. A lot more off mic than we do on mic, believe it or not, people. Yes, but yes. we'd love to see you. Come on over and join us. So that starts on December 1st. Randy O'Frost is the Israel Professor of Psychology at Smith College. He has published numerous articles and books, including Stuff, Compulsive Hoarding and The Meaning of Things, a New York Times bestseller and a finalist for the 2010 Books for a Better Life Award. His latest book, The Oxford Handbook of Hoarding and Acquiring, was published in 2014. He has received a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Mental Health Association of San Francisco and a Career Achievement Award from the International OCD Foundation. Welcome, Dr. Frost.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you once again for joining us. We have a lot of questions that have been sent to us. We're a part of some online communities as well as our listenership. People had really specific questions for their situations around hoarding and so we wanted to ask the expert. Put you in the hot seat. (laughs) (coughs) So the first question comes from Angela.
2: Why do open spaces make me feel uncomfortable?
1: Ah, that's an interesting question. One of the things that I've often wondered about with respect to hoarding disorder is that are there individual preferences, individual differences in preferences for space? So I like spaces that are open and, and where I've got some kind of a vista. Other people like spaces that are tightly closed in and so forth. So it may just be a, a matter of an individual difference in preference for, for spaces. We, we do know that one thing in hoarding disorder is that any kind of horizontal surface that's available gets filled in with stuff. And part of it, it has to do with the way in which stuff is organized. So, people with hoarding disorder, we think, have a deficit in the ability to categorize things. So, they have a, a, what we refer to as narrow category boundaries. What that means is that you know, most of, us, most of us live our lives categorically. So we get an electricity bill, we, we put it in a folder with other, other utility bills. And then if we wanna find that individual bill, we look through the different items or the uh, different pieces in that category. But people with hoarding disorder tend to organize their world visually and spatially. So instead of putting the bill in a, in a file, they put it on the pile a little bit over to the left, and then then make a mental note of where that is in space. And so, And you look at the home of someone with a hoarding disorder, and you 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 think, well, it's it's completely disorganized. But in truth, it looks like it. There is an organizational scheme, but it's based on on a visual spatial model rather than a categorical model. So. That bill, that utility bill, if you ask the person where it is in a month, they'll say, well, it's in the pile over on the left, a little about a foot down since it's been a month. So it's like having this mental representation or mental three dimensional map in your head of this pile and what's in the pile. And if that pile gets disturbed somehow, it will destroy your mental map. And so that's a part of the way space is utilized in hoarding disorders. So having an open space may be a, a place where th- that kind of pile can develop so that you 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 can create a mental map of this stuff that you have that's there.
2: It almost sounds like a museum is being curated in that way.
1: Exactly. It's very much that way because I get lots of requests from museums to, to come and do talks about saving things because you know, in the history of museum, museums started out as what was referred to as cabinets of curiosity, uh, things collected, unusual things from around the world that were curiosities that people would put in, in a glass cabinet. Um, and, and it all hinges on the, the way in which people put value on objects um, and objects that have been used in the past and discarded. Uh, objects that were once useful in one sphere and now they aren't, but yet they they seem to contain some essence that, that, that refers back to the past and that brings back a piece of the past or at least represents a piece of the past.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's good. Patricia has asked, my clutter gives a sense of security after trauma, and we did talk about trauma in a previous episode with you, she wants to know, how do I deal with the loss of security that comes for me as a result of decluttering?
1: Yeah, well, th- we do see that sometimes, especially for people who've experienced trauma, that these objects provide them with a sense of comfort and safety, at least a seeming comfort and safety. But in truth, the way of getting through it is, is to basically tell the story of the possession. Uh, and in the story, relate that possession to the current context of your life? And how does that fit in with the current context of your life? And what what people discover in doing that is that these possessions may feel like they're providing you with a sense of comfort and safety. But in fact, it's not the possession that's making you feel that way. That comfort and safety doesn't really emanate from the possession. And the possession has costs associated with it that, that maybe get in the way of really getting over the, some of the PTSD symptoms related to, to security.
2: That's really interesting. One of the strategies that we use with our clients is the past, present, and future. And I was just thinking that. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 very similar to what you're saying. We look at an item and say, is it part of our past? Is it part of our present? Or And does it have a place in our future? And that, I feel, really helps people to segregate its use currently versus previously.
1: Yeah. One of the things we know is that it, with people who struggle with this, when things come into their home, they go in a pile somewhere, and they virtually never get dealt with again. And so, there's really no opportunity for them to process the importance of those objects in their life. And mm-hmm. one strategy I've been working with someone now for a couple of years, where where she is actually making videos of herself telling the story of the possession and the and providing a context for whether or not it's worth worth it to keep. And mm. over the course of a couple of years, she's done more than 200 of these very short videos. And in every one, she tells the story of the possession, its history, where it came from, why she was attracted to it, what it meant to her, how it was tied to her past, how it was tied to her future. And in the end, she's gotten rid of virtually all of them wow. and hasn't, hasn't regretted any of them. Uh, and I think that's because she she processed the information that was contained in the possession. And I think that's key. Yeah. And, and to go in and try to clear out clutter just by clearing clutter, that doesn't work terribly well because that, that processing of the importance of the object never really happens. That You really have to process what the place this possession holds for you in your life.
2: And allow the discomfort or the feeling that comes up with telling that story yeah. to have a place next to you. That's the biggest thing that I've been learning over the last right. few years is make sure yeah. that you allow space for that um, so that exactly. that process can happen. Because it's not happen. easy.
1: Yeah, because no. there is discomfort with letting it go. Mm. And, and with the woman I've been dealing with, yeah, she's went, gone through a lot of discomfort to let go of things. But in the end, she's much happier.
0: That's a great strategy. I love that. That's great. So Elizabeth wants to know. When someone hoards garbage because they don't believe they are worth it, what underlying issues are causing that? How do you make a positive change towards loving yourself?
1: It's a little bit hard to know from the description all of what's going on. But if, if, if they have the accumulation of garbage because they don't feel worthy, then you want to look at the, the role depression is playing in the collecting mm. behavior. And because if the objects that are being collected aren't valued by the person in some way, then it's more likely that this is hoarding behavior that's secondary to a depression. Mm. And so then you want to look at treating the depression.
2: As the underlying cause. Yeah. So true.
1: Now, depression is highly comorbid with hoarding disorder. About half of people with hoarding disorder experience significant depression. Um
0: are there other disorders that have high comorbidity with
1: hoarding disorder? About 50% of people with hoarding disorder are, have a major depressive disorder that is diagnosable. Mm. And so that means that complicates treatment because motivation is sometimes an issue. Energy level, uh, motivation, and certainly feelings of, of worthlessness are, are a part of uh, hoarding disorder for many folks.
2: And what about anxiety and OCD? Do you find that there's a high rate of comorbidity for those?
1: There is, there is uh, about 18% of people with hoarding disorder have, uh, also have obsessive compulsive disorder. Anxiety, a lot of, of people with um, Horty disorder have other anxieties as well. Generalized anxiety disorder, disorder uh, characterized by worry social anxiety is is pretty uh, high in people with hoarding disorder. So, if you look at at people as a as a group with hoarding disorder, about 75% of them have some other disorder that that is related to either anxiety or depression. So, mm. it's pretty there's a lot of overlap here. Mm. And and in many ways the depression and a lot of the anxiety is comes from the hoarding hoarding behavior.
2: So, in that instance, do you find that hoarding behaviors or the hoarding disorder tends to be the primary disorder, or is it usually the secondary disorder, or can you not tell?
1: In, in uh, it's hard to tell. in In many cases, it's the primary disorder. In a few cases, it's it's not, uh, and in those cases, it's when it's not, then you probably need to start focusing on the other dis- the primary disorder first mm. before dealing with the with the hoarding disorder.
0: Yeah, I have. I'd never actually thought about it that way. We interrupt your usual programming to bring you an important message. From our sponsors. Us. (laughs) (laughs) We are bringing back our free
2: webinar. Yay! We have had so many people email us and request us to bring this back. So, we're listening. And on December 9, 8pm Australian
0: Eastern Standard Time, Declutter Your Home in 7 days, we'll be back. But registrations are limited. We have a limited number of spaces. So, if you would like to come along, you missed out last time, bring a friend. We'd love to see you. Head to the website to register. It's littlehomeorganised.com.au forward slash webinar.
2: And this message has been brought to you by Little Home (laughs) Organised. The only place to declutter and organise every space in your home to reclaim time for the things you
0: love. Oh, I love your radio voice. So we have a competition, and this one is for our listeners in the US. Dr. Frost has generously donated an autographed copy of his book, Buried in Treasures, for one of our lucky listeners. If you or a loved one is struggling with hoarding behaviours, Buried in Treasures is a fantastic resource. To win a signed copy, this is what you need to do. Leave a rating and review of the Little Home Organised podcast on Apple Podcasts, and just mention this episode with Dr. Randy Frost. We'll have the details of the competition on our Facebook page. Make sure to check out our page soon so you don't miss out. Now, our next question comes from Megan, and I I find this question really interesting. Why do I struggle so much with wanting to sell everything instead of just donating it? I can't let go even if there is no interest from buyers. Why is that? Now, mm. my assumption immediately reading that would be that she sees the value in her items and is – um, wants other people to see the value in them as well. So what's your opinion on that, Dr. Frost?
1: Yeah, what we see in hoarding disorder, many times people value an object much more than other people do and, and see its potential in a way that other people don't. The other phenomenon we see going on is, is one that is sort of common to all of us in, in behavioral economics. It's referred to as sunk cost that I have some some money associated with this or some investment associated with this that I've made and if I give this away or throw it away I will lose that investment. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to recoup the costs that I've sunk into this object. And that probably part of it as well.
0: Yeah, that's something that you see at in your work as well Bonnie, don't you? Where people are struggling to let go of things. It's like, oh, I spent quite a bit of coin on that.
2: Yes. And there's often a lot of coaching behind that exact fact. It's it's a sunk cost. You're not getting that money back. It's already spent. It's in the past. Now we've got to yeah. focus on what place this item may or may not have in your future. And in the grand scheme of things, is it worth your time to spend the effort to sell it for $10 or is it better yeah. to donate it and focus on other things that will have more traction? Yeah. Okay. This question is from Angela. How do I stop micro-organizing, you know, sorting into tank tops, types of straps, types of fabric, size? It's never ending.
1: Uh, that, that comes back to the issue we talked about a little while ago about categorization and, and narrow category boundaries. So there's a tendency to see each possession is so unique and so different that it's not like anything else. And eventually you get to the point where you can't categorize a, an object together with anything else because it is so different. And so one, one technique is to is to sit down and try to make broader categories and see if you can fit things from these little categories into a bigger category. Um, and so it's a matter of practicing with that. It's a cognitive exercise.
2: Mm. Do you find that some people who are maybe focusing on the micro organization are maybe just delaying and avoiding?
1: Well, there is a lot of avoidance behavior associated with, with hoarding and, and not wanting to let go of things. So it is possible that that's the case.
2: And do you feel like maybe there's a bit of churning happening there too sometimes?
1: Yeah, certainly. With, with all these things, because because these, uh, they're really, they're, it's a problem with processing information. And it's so difficult and often so unpleasant to p- try to process information when you struggle with it that there's a tendency to avoid in whatever way you can. And sometimes people don't even know they're doing it; they're just mm. they're just automatically doing something to shift their attention away or to focus on something that's more pleasant to think about.
2: <laughs> Which I think we're we all, all do. Guilty of,
0: yeah. We certainly nope, don't we want to think about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's say that someone's been working through their hoarding, they're seeing a professional, they've read a book, they've gone to a Buried in Treasures workshop and they're getting towards the other side of it. How do they maintain their space and keep on top of things so that they don't fall relapse. into old ways, relapse into the um, old behaviours?
1: Yeah. In in terms of relapse prevention, what we look at is the, the developing of a schedule of some kind so that there's a routine – that the person follows and that routine involves time with sorting and, and organizing possessions. Um, so and it also includes other things one of the struggles people with hoarding problems have is is being able to stick to a routine. Um, things take them a lot of time um, so often they're late for appointments they don't they forget appointments they're, that so scheduling is a big part of it so one of the things we try to emphasize is, is to create a schedule for yourself and to make sure you stick to that schedule and keep it posted somewhere like on your refrigerator so that you know where you're supposed to be when and what you're supposed to be doing at a certain time.
2: And how much time do you recommend for someone who is maintaining how much per week should they be focusing on, you know, culling, sorting, decluttering? Yeah,
1: yeah, that all depends on their tolerance level and what they've Mm -hmm. been through. So if they come mm. through uh, treatment and um, their their home is sufficiently organized that it doesn't take them too long to go through the tasks every day, then they may not leave, need a lot of time. For other people who are still in the process of decluttering at the end of treatment, then they may need more time. Uh, but it, it's it's pretty individual with for 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 people who come through who are at different levels and different stages and need slightly different timetables for doing things
2: Mm, very individualized isn't it yeah we have a question here from marie does it help when you also eliminate toxic people i have cleaned out some toxic people in my life and my home Hmm. is getting tidier
1: <laughs> I, I, that's probably true for any problem you have. I was if, about you, to yeah, say, yeah. if you can clear toxic people from your home or from your ha- from your life, then if any whatever problem you have will automatically get better.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. Yes, <laughs> and uh, we also have a question from Vivian. So Vivian wants to know: At what point is it okay to acknowledge that the person is ill? but still not subject the family to their behavior and force the issue?
1: So the first part is at what point is it acceptable to acknowledge the person is ill? Mm -hmm. It's a delicate balance there depending on how the person can talk about it. I think rather than talking about this as an illness to start, the best strategy is to talk with the person about the, the meaning these things hold for them and get them to elaborate the meanings of the possession, get them to talk about their life and the things that they enjoy with respect to these possessions. And the more you get them to talk about this, there will be a time when they start talking about the drawbacks of keeping these things. And then you want, you want to get them talking about the drawbacks, as well as the joys of having these things, because that, therein lies the ambivalence that they will experience. And, 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 and so at that point, then you can start talking about how much trouble this causes for the person in their life. And then eventually you may be able to talk about it as an illness, but I think I, think I wouldn't approach it as an illness to begin with. I think you want to talk with the person about just the, the things that they enjoy and the things they find burdensome in their life and then use that as a backdrop for working up to the question of whether they could use some help in dealing with uh, all their possessions.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's the challenging thing, being a family member of someone who is struggling with hoarding is, you know, it's a very complicated issue and you want to love this person, you want to help this person, but also finding that balance if it's impacting on your life, like if it's your wife who has the hoarding behavior or it's your husband who has the hoarding behavior and like where do you find that fine balance of I'm, I'm here to help you and also I need to take care of myself as well
1: exactly it is yeah. a
0: delicate balance and in a previous episode we actually spoke to Lee Shure and Beck Balofsky who are a part of like the workshop buried in buried buried and treasures and, yep. and you know mm-hmm. it was fascinating to speak to them because their um, experience was one of those where um, Lee and Becca did things very differently at home and then they had to work through it to maintain a healthy relationship and marriage. And they came out the other side. It was absolutely wonderful conversation. And if you haven't heard that yeah. episode, make sure to go yeah. go back listeners and check that one out. They're, um, they're a lovely couple as well. So
2: one last question I have for you, Dr. Frost, and you touched on this briefly just in that last answer. If you've got a family member who is exhibiting hoarding behaviours and maybe you haven't been to their home for some time because you live interstate or overseas and you've come mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's a real problem, how do you start that conversation with them about what's going on?
1: I, I think the best way to start the conversation is to, to try to put yourself in their shoes and learn what it is that is attracting them to, to all these things to get them to start talking about their possessions. And I would try to do it in as positive way as possible, even taking the tact that these are really interesting things that you've collected. Can you tell me uh, about them and what they mean and, and what you're planning to do with them and when did you get them? And, and, and so, it, rather, than, rather than talking about this as something that needs to change, I think the first conversation is trying to understand the individual mm. and, and what they're going through and what kinds of attachments they have. And the more you do that, the, the more you'll get close to this point where they're going to say something like, well, I really like this, but it takes up so much space that it's really getting in my way. And then you can start the conversation of what are the, 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 the pros and cons of, of keeping things or the benefits and, and drawbacks or risks of, of saving mm. these things.
2: Mm, that's that's a great answer. I do have one more question, if I may. <laughs> um, <laughs> she can't help us. <laughs> I know, I know. I could talk all day about this. Um, we mentioned before about um, the case that you're working with at the moment and recording videos to help process mm-hmm. the story behind each of the items. And mm-hmm. when we talked to Lee Shua, he said that he's going through a recording process. Every day he writes what he's given away, where it's gone to, it's kind of like mm-hmm. diarising what's going on with yeah. his journey. Yeah. Would you encourage people to do that or do you feel like it encourages a level of perfectionism that is maybe not attainable?
1: Oh, no, I would certainly encourage people to do that. And, and in fact, one of, the, one of the themes in some of the uh, videos that, that Marnie, this woman, is, is doing for me had to do with perfectionism. And the fact that it keeping this means she can maintain some, she doesn't want to make a mistake. And she's afraid throwing this away will, make it, will be a mistake. And so then the challenge for her is learning how to tolerate living with mistakes.
0: And so mm. she
1: makes that a theme for one of the episodes that she puts in. And that's the sort of thing that's, that's doable in this kind of project. Where you where you get to the point where you understand the meaning and that you understand what it is that's tearing you tearing you apart in terms of letting go of this, and then you figure out a way of doing some kind of experiment to test whether you can work your way through it.
2: Mm, that is great because I think that's a really easy strategy that a lot of people can implement themselves without needing to engage yeah. um, mm. a professional and and see how they go at home
0: with it. Oh, absolutely. Another tool for the toolkit. Yeah. Dr. Frost, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm sure our listeners will be very grateful for all the questions that you've answered for them today. So thank you. Thank you. It's
1: been my pleasure. I really enjoyed it.
0: Wow. Another great episode with Dr. Frost. You know, every time we talk to him,
2: my mind is just blown a little bit more. And the strategy he mentioned this episode about diarizing just really resonated with me. So that's actually what I'd like to use for this week's tidy task. So if you are struggling to let go of items in your home, we would encourage you to implement this diary strategy that Dr. Frost has talked about in this episode. So video yourself with each object, tell the camera the story behind it, how it's connected to you in your past, and in your present. Let it be raw and real because this is just for you to see, no one else. And then if afterwards you decide to let go of it, that's your decision to make. And that's it for
0: this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We know how busy life can be and really appreciate you lending us your ears. And remember, progress, not perfection. See you later. Bye.